Mary Poppins, practically perfect in every way. Be the miners. Sure, they're like three years old. Miners, not miners. If you eliminate the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. <laughs> I don't, don't want to kill you. What would I do without you? Every time someone says, I do not believe in fairies, somewhere there's a fairy that falls down we dead. We women who aren't afraid to fight, to stand up for our dignity. Transference is inevitable, sir. Every human being has an impact. There are no colored bathrooms in this building. And a simple string of pearls. Well, I don't own pearls. Lord knows you don't pay colors enough to afford pearls. History of evolution has taught us it's that life will not be contained. Life finds a way. Words are, in my not so humble opinion, our most inexhaustible source of magic. Hello and welcome. This is Bite the Pen. I am Jen Hansen, and sitting on the other side of the wall is Miss Charlotte Martinez. So the next source that we have, number five on our list of sources, is Mulan Rise of a Warrior, which came out in 2009, so it's pretty recent. To keep up tradition, we're not going to read anybody's names, but it was directed and produced by the same person. Usually that means that the person also wrote it, but in this case, they didn't. So it's just something to put in your hat. I feel like that would be really hard to do. Sorry, to both direct and produce. You're trying to like create it and then sell it at the same time. Yeah, I hear you. Maybe they have an illustrious career and we just don't know about it because we're not in China, you know? That's true. So it was made in China and the language in it is Mandarin. I could totally tell they were speaking Mandarin and not Chinese. It was <laughs> obvious to me. So... <laughs> Do you want to give us the 411? A quick little summary of this two-hour drama. <laughs> so it's 450 AD. A conscription arrives for warriors to fight against the Rorons. Welcome back, Rorons. <laughs> Knowing that her ill father will not return, Mulan steals away in the middle of the night, wearing her father's armor. Mulan's skills are apparent in training, but when a strip search is ordered for a missing item, Mulan must take blame in order to keep her identity hidden. Condemned now to death. Already. Jeez, that was quick. Mulan tells her superior... Oh, I forgot to look up his name. Oh my god. <laughs> Do we remember how we said his name? Uh, Wenta? Wenta? Wentai? Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> the romantic interest. Should I just call him the romantic interest? Yeah. It looks like Wen Tai, but I'm guessing that's not how you say it. I'll just say Wen Tai for now. Okay. Sorry, Chinese people. We apologize. I was really good at looking up all the names beforehand. I think I just kind of forgot about that one. Condemned now to death, Mulan tells her superior Wen Tai that she is a woman and requests that her body be burned after execution. Luckily, at that moment, their camp is attacked and Wen Tai releases Mulan so she can flee. Mulan does not flee and instead kills the enemy's commander. For her brave actions, Mulan is pardoned and promoted to the same rank as Wentai. Growing closer to him, Mulan makes the mistake of leaving a post during a battle to protect Wentai, which costs the lives of some of her men. Wentai then commands that Mulan leave her emotional feelings buried in order to follow orders. He furthers this lesson by faking his death so Mulan can mourn, then be revived as a hardened warrior. Now as a commander, Mulan leads her army into multiple victories, which leads to a final battle that goes terribly wrong. Mulan is injured, a sandstorm deters her backup, and her men become cornered on a mountainside where they are dying from dehydration, starvation, and execution. That was rough. Oh, it's just 
all bad. Yeah, <laughs> so bad. that was a rough part of the film. It was, but so well done. Ugh. Wentai, who earlier appeared resurrected to the relieved Mulan, decides to offer himself as a hostage in order to get water and medicine to Mulan's men. Because Wentai is a prince of Wei, this deal is accepted, and Mulan's men are saved. Sort of. Sort of. Well, I mean, they're, yeah, they're not dead. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> oh, shit. It's not great. It's not like one of those big victories or anything. Yeah. But as soon as Mulan is well enough, she goes to the Roran camp, disguised, in order to rescue Wantai. While in the camp, Mulan overhears the tension between the Roran Khan and his sister, the princess. Mulan takes the opportunity to approach the princess to form a plan to kill the Khan. The plan is successful, and the war is ended. And then to wrap it up, Mulan appears before her emperor and reveals her true identity and asks to be pardoned for joining the army. The emperor not only grants the pardon, but offers any reward Mulan desires, but she only asks that she be returned to her aging father. The film ends with Wan Tai visiting Mulan, professing his love and asking her to run away with him. Unfortunately, Wan Tai had just betrothed the Roran princess in order to keep the peace between the two nations. So Mulan declines his offer, and he leaves Mulan in her village to care for her father. The end. Which is, that's pretty similar to one of the novel versions we read. In that one, they do get married, but it's kind of nice in this one that they don't. That's true, all three of them, right? It's the princess, Mulan, and then Mulan's betrothed. It's interesting. It feels more like a Romeo and Juliet ending, except they don't die. <laughs> Yeah, and sucks, but, like, she doesn't seem like she can't go on or anything. Yeah. You know? Or at least not devastating. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Well, before we get into it, I want to mention that I think this film has the least amount of genres out of all the films that we've watched so far. Because this is pretty much straight up an action slash war film. There's romance and there's drama, but, I mean, I wouldn't label it that way i always thought it was paced as a war film like an american war film it's amazing pacing because you get character development you get big battles but then you get a lot of good sentiment in there and questions of morality spot on china yeah and it, the the timeline like you said like the it's not even that much the timeline but sort of the through line through everything is the war and battle so even when they're up in the mountains and they're starving and they're trying to wait them out basically or wait for backup it still kind of always goes back to battle soldier life sacrifices all the things you would get from a war film there's not a lot of comedy i mean there's like some funny parts but it's it's not a fun funny film no singing goes on either no right? singing that would be weird in this very hyper realistic world which is kind of cool because the other films don't really have quite that serious tone to them i would say this is the most serious even their production design felt realistic nothing was bright or colored or sugar-coated it was a gringy war film and i i mean i really liked it did you like this one uh yeah war movies are my thing it made sense that this was produced and i'm sure we're going to mention it this was produced by china after they experienced what disney did with their beloved legend in 1998 with our animated version right wasn't this a direct response yeah the chinese wanted their story 
you know, Mulan is their story and they wanted it their way, which makes a lot of sense. How dare they ask that? <laughs> you know, it's an interesting response piece because they could have done an animated film. They could have targeted kids. They could have done a lot of different things to balance out what they felt Disney did wrong and Disney did do wrong. But instead, they didn't go that avenue. They're like, no, we're not making a cartoon. We're telling you about war. And that's it period so we should probably have a disclaimer that says this is probably not appropriate for children maybe teenagers you know it's, <laughs> it's like that blood and gore aspect that comes into play here so you gotta be weary of it but it's worth it even for i think preteens in my opinion to get a real experience of mulan right yeah i was gonna say like this isn't for little kids but it's definitely for anyone else little kids would probably get bored and be like what the hell are we watching <laughs> but if you like history if you like chinese history especially not that all of it's accurate but it has that feel it has more of that historical fiction feel to it and well budgeted right do we know what the budget was for this we totally do but we <sighs> don't remember it at this moment cool it was just big right and that's what we know is the big budget the way that the budgets were spent were far better <laughs> i don't know how much they spent on the writing but it the writing showed and i don't know how much they spent on like you said the costumes but that showed every elements that they did include because they included very little i think in terms of like all the things that they could have imagined doing was all done really really well and you know, thinking about, uh, we didn't mention it, but the context of this film, China is risen now to a world power again. You know, the communist thing is working, apparently. You know, that communist as... thing. <laughs> Economic, you know, increase is pretty good right now. So they probably thought really hard about this project because it is saying something about China. And the year before, they were hosting the Summer Olympics. And the year after, they became second largest economy in the world. So, I mean, they're doing really well at this point. So it makes sense that this movie was done just as well. Yeah. What? Can I ask a question? What did you think of the actor? Mulan's actor. <laughs> I, I like. Mulan the actor. <laughs> I liked her. I was going to tell you your name, but we're not doing that. And I can't say it anyway. I liked her. Did you like her? I, I remember her facial expressions more than any other Mulan film. As a live action, her face is what I remember most, is what I want to say about that. Interesting. I'm going to look it up because I can't remember what she looks like. I think it's because she, out of all of the live action versions, she had the most expressions. She had, you know, when she was in pain, you saw it. When she was depressed, that time in the film where she thinks... um. Her commander is dead, and she's just falling apart. It's a brilliant performance. She's really good at that. And she's kind of buff, right? She's the one that I was thinking, like, actually looks like she could train as a soldier. Um, she's also yeah. beautiful, but she, like, looked stronger than some of the other ones that are more dainty and, like, I'm an actor. <laughs> <laughs> but this felt like there was some oomph behind it. Absolutely. Which, again, is props to their choices. It, totally. Totally. What What are some of the things that stood out for you? Well, other than the very different genre, the main message of the film, this is still very much a communist-driven message, even though a war film can say many things. And I think this film did say many things. That's why I'm like, yeah, you're also like a creative people that you can <laughs> insinuate different things. I like it. But it... 
it was first and foremost the communist message again, which is that we need everybody's part to play in this bigger game. And the ending, which we've never seen an ending where the couple is separated. We've seen marriage. We've seen suicide. We've seen <laughs> multiple marriages. I don't know. Yeah. This is the first time where Mulan is not rewarded with the man. Because she's instead doing something for the better of her people. And lives. And lives. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's an interesting message. Well, I don't know. As Westerners, we'll probably project our individualism onto that choice, saying like, oh, she can do better and do different things. But I think the Chinese were thinking first and foremost that, oh, she did what was best for her people by turning him down, saying, no, you have a job to do. Especially since that's part of what ended the war, right? Was having this unification between these two different communities. So it really is, like you said, it's a dedication to her community. It's not even filial piety. It's communal piety. <laughs> yeah, it is. And I, I think she even says it. or before he gets there or after he gets there that she's going to be taking care of her father like that's what the only thing we get as far as what's next which to us is kind of kind of disappointing i'm like well you could do other things but maybe we can we can again project that onto her saying she will do other things and honestly i i prefer that scenario that played out over the one where she disappears behind a curtain and then is like full female again female you know like in the full makeup and is like has to pretend that she's being very coy i would prefer her going back to the entire purpose of all of this underneath everything which is to protect her father and take care of her father and make sure that he doesn't die in the war so to me it makes a lot of sense and it's cool that he's actually alive when she returns that one book was just too much like your father's dead and you don't have a job and you might as and your boyfriend left you just go commit suicide it's like come on it's all she fought in a war for 12 years i don't think she can i think she can deal with these things yeah that's true i do prefer this ending to that and it is ending on like a sober note but it is a clear message still and they got that across So good for them. Sticking to a clear message and making sure it goes all the way through. (laughs) One main one and a few others all done, like you said, pretty well. And that's not something that we'll see later. (laughs) Again. What what did you think? I mean, there was a another character that was similar to an old an older version that we watched um, of the sort of cousin friend. He was interesting. Tiger. Small tiger? Something tiger? Little tiger? Little tiger. He was so cool. We needed a good comic relief and ally. And that's what he did. But he didn't overdo it. If anything, he's the more kind of slapsticky in the background, but being close to Mulan. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's Mushu. He's Mushu, but like a realistic version of Mushu, which is really extraordinary to me that they could do that. That they found somebody like that that could fit that role but still fit into it being kind of a serious war movie. Yes, that's what I mean. Even that character, that archetype, which we've seen before, was integrated into this version so, so well. Because as we see, we need that audience character. That's what gets our sympathy and that's what brings us closer to Mulan. And that's what he did. He brought us closer to her without overbearing and... Being weird. Yeah, without being weird. When we watched it, We both very much liked this character because of all those attributes that you just said. And because he is sort of 
a missing piece of the 2020 Disney version that they desperately needed, and he was able in this film to sort of bring their community together. He served more than one role in that sense, and I really liked that he was able to kind of be an audience character, but also show Mulan what's going on around her, and that she doesn't always have to be so hard. She she has a past, and he kind of keeps her not grounded, she's very grounded, I would say he keeps her like tethered to like real life, life outside of the war. And I, I really liked that about his character because I think that's what Mushu does too. He kind of reminds us of that we're not just fighting a war. We're also trying to get back to our families. Agreed. So go ahead with your spoiler alert now. I just wanted to say that before everybody got disappointed. Um, well, I was going to mention that there's during the ordeal, which is when they're trapped up against this mountain, there is a little bit of singing here, which is it's not like corny singing. It was a song that they all sung as soldiers in times mm. where there was like no hope, but they needed to create some. Right. And Little Tiger's character had such a beautiful arc, an amazing ending. Unfortunately, it was a sacrificial ending because he and, and some of Mulan's men were sacrificed or killed by the enemy. But the way it happens Ugh. is both awful and awesome. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. And that's what I mean. Those war movies have those moments of, wow, this is what it means to experience life in its worst and its best. That's all I'm going to say about that, because I would really love people to watch this movie for those reasons. That scene is incredible. I mean, it's right up there with some of the scenes that we found really powerful in the animated version. I like that they included the song because that seems to be a pretty common theme with war films. When you have nothing left to give, a song can kind of bring everything back and... It was really, I don't know, it was just really beautiful. It was a really beautiful scene. Um, Sad, but beautiful. (laughs) And because that's kind of in this whole portion of the film where they are stuck in the mountains. She had a clever idea and it failed. And that's like one of the first times that that's happened too. But she kind of had to take a gamble. It was either like die right away or try to go up into the mountains and last long enough for backup to show up and you know the enemy is there they've arrived but they're not like encroaching in on them they're just kind of keeping them walled off and it's one of the first times in this whole legend thing except for maybe maxine's book where we see like survivalism i mean i guess we see it a tiny bit in the animated version but that's such a huge part of war especially old war where there isn't tanks you can go hop into and head out not that those aren't deadly either but it's just you see how likely it is that people in a war like this would die from many things (laughs) fighting is one of them but maybe not the first one. I mean, malnutrition, they run out of food, they run out of water, they don't have like a lot of medical supplies. It's a desperate situation. And there's a beautiful scene with Mulan and her horse. You think you know what's going to happen and then it doesn't do what you think it's going to do. But I thought that was a really amazing testament to that survivalism. People have talked about when they've been lost in the jungle before and had a dog with them, that there is always this moment where you have to decide if you're going to eat your dog, who you love and who's part of your family, or if you're going to starve. And nine times out of ten, they can't do it because it's loyal to you. It's, you know, it's a creature that's loyal to you and who has helped you. So with her and her horse sort of having this little minor storyline throughout the movie, I thought that was really beautiful that we got to see all of those elements come together, literally on the top of a mountain, stuck there, because you have no other option at that point. 
See, these small details that are threaded through the movie, again, are paying off. Yeah. That's a sign of great storytelling. And you know what? Now that you brought up all those specifics, this movie also handles the timeline really well. They're really authentic mm-hmm. to the historic Mulan legend, which is that it's taking place over 12 years. And Mulan is not only rising in rank, but she's losing men. People are getting sick, not recovering from injuries. Um, Their whole battalion is constantly moving. So there's all of these factors that you have to take into account. And just the fact that she can last that long. I mean, as a woman, but also as a commander and being in love with someone there. You know, it's just like all these factors you have to consider. And she handles them well, probably by doing the, the hardened warrior lesson until she can release it when they're ready to go back home. Yeah. Is this the one with the dog tags? Yes. It's this one. Okay. <laughs> There's a couple different times throughout the film where it does start getting to her because it is 12 years of war. It's going to get to you. And I like that they came up with a couple different ways of showing that because it's a film. You show things, apparently. <laughs> Somebody should tell Disney that. No narrator? <laughs> <laughs> I can't even address that at this moment. My brain just, like, snapped. There's this whole aspect where she is just not doing well. I mean, she's depressed with good reason. They've lost people, like you said. I I don't remember if she was actually drinking, but I feel like that's, yeah, the time where you would be, which she was, so that's good. (laughs) And it takes her her non-existent boyfriend to kind of show up and help her along by also sharing what's been going on with him and the losses that he's had they do this through these basically like dog tags for the military but they're wooden they look like wooden labels with you know chinese writing on it obviously and they collect them from the dead like you would dog tags and there's sort of this really amazing shot where she's in a room and you just see this wall of them And it's really breathtaking to watch it because it's so like, ugh, like all that loss. And also she's not ignoring it. She's very much facing it. And that's why she's not doing well, (laughs) which is good. I mean, that's better to feel it then than to feel it later, psychologically speaking. Yeah. But I like that the people that come around her, like normally I would really be annoyed that some dude has to come along to help her. I've seen that enough. But in this case, it works so well because he's doing it out of genuine hurt of his own. It's a sharing. It's not a like, I'm here to protect you. Yes. That despite the fact he knows that she's a woman, he's treated her like an equal commander. And that's what they were. They were equal in rank. And that's a good visual to track Mulan's arc. The fact that we always go to the visual of the tags. Yeah. Our brains are just connecting it along the way. Again, no narrator is needed. We can figure it out as viewers. They set the pattern for us. Yeah. Every time there's a, you know, indication of a character change, we'll go back to the tags. This movie was long, but I was not confused. And it's because of what you just said. Those patterns were established and they were executed to the end. So even though it was long and I didn't understand completely like what the war was about, (laughs) I knew exactly what was happening the entire time. Agreed. And that makes the end that much more cathartic because then you're like, ugh, I felt this from the beginning. Like it's so much more visceral. Yes. Yeah. So we have a lot of bad things to say about this film, obviously. (laughs) I was even thinking, well, I have one more theme I want to mention, but I was even thinking that if somebody wanted an intro to a Mulan story, I would start with this one because it's the most accurate and the most 
historically evocative. (laughs) What I really like is that it feels authentic and it's from a culture that it originated from and even though that doesn't mean that it's going to be perfectly historically accurate as we see in our own films i do like that it's from that country because that's their legend and like seeing aladdin if we had known exactly where aladdin had come from and seen how that country did it now i feel like would be very meaningful and have a different connotation to it absolutely so you had another theme that you wanted to talk about I was going to ask about the enemy, the villains in the movie. It's interesting because we don't get a lot of interaction with the enemy. And I mean, in the battles we do, but we always are following a side story with the villains, with the con of the clan. And it has to do with the father-son thing and the sister-princess. What did you oh, think yeah, of all that? that? And that weird albino guy, which yeah. I never figured out, but was <laughs> super like interested in. What did you think? <laughs> I Yeah, I forgot. So the bad leader guy has a dick of a son and a daughter. <laughs> and the son is really, what's the word for that? Malicious. He's He likes pain. He likes being violent. So he's one of those people, which is not great to have in a war <laughs> or anywhere. And the daughter is, how would you describe her? Complacent? Well, yes, but we see indications of her being very opinionated about the whole thing and actually in agreement with her father most of the time because her father does want peace yeah and she's always you know their conversations always end that way like they're both in agreement this is what they want whereas the son is just bonkers you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean yeah she she has zero power but she is sort of in these tents with her father and her brother and then there's the albino guy which is just i don't know why he's there but i like him (laughs) uh he's not a bad guy might be different than what you expected because albinos are always the bad guys (laughs) that is a reference to a film called the heat if you have seen the heat might be enjoyable for you oh my gosh we've seen that movie like eight times I know, I just forgot that she said it. <laughs> he's interesting. He's like the servant guy. He helps the, the, the father character. But he ends up being a bit of a, I would say a loyalist to the ideals of the father post him dying. There's a loyalty there. And I think it's not just for him and the daughter, but for peace and not being psychopaths like the son. Yeah, so I was going to say, even after the son kills the father, the son is understanding that the father's going to end the war soon, and he's he's like, you can't do that. They're not dead yet. I mean, he is really malicious in that way. That's what he thinks of as a victory. He needs to just wipe them all out. Yeah. So even after the father's dead, he does have these loyal aides, the prin- his daughter, the princess, and then this albino, and they both attempt to kill the son in the end. Neither of them succeed. Mulan, I think, does it, right? Yeah. Which is good because she's the hero. Right. He, she needs to do it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but that even the villains got some complexity. Again, that's a key thing. Yes. It wasn't just some like random guy who like owns a woman who turns into a bird. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds absurd. Who would do that? <laughs> if I remember correctly, this was also one of the films that has supporting characters in the army with her there's like a group of them that meet at the very beginning and they kind of end up following her throughout 
the 12 years of the war, which is pretty cool. I mean, that's what we get from the old uh, black and white film that we watched. And even the Disney's animated version has that. And it's like a real sense of camaraderie. And I I like that they're all there being supportive in their own ways. (laughs) Yeah. And one of the things that we didn't, we didn't talk about this because I forgot in one of the past ones, I think it was the 74 one, is that there's like this long scene where Mulan gets drunk, like completely wasted. And I really thought that was hilarious. And in this film, we do not get that scene, but we do kind of see the more realistic, I think, version of alcoholism in wartime. That's true. The 74 one, if you want to have a good time and, like, have a glass of wine with it, it's really funny and hilarious. But this one is definitely not that. How interesting. I didn't even connect the dots. There was a drinking scene in almost all of the Chinese versions. This must be a thing that happens in the Chinese army. It's like, yeah, I gotta get drunk. Either that or, you know, the U.S. have only done Disney versions. So that's probably inappropriate to do it in a Disney version. That's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, I'm pretty sure alcohol is a pretty common thing in wartime. Because you need something to sleep, right? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. It seems that there are a couple different threads that come up because of the parameters of the original ballad that seep in without you really realizing it. And it's interesting to see how they all play out based on the version, whether it's written or video. Uh, Is there anything else we want to mention before we move on? Other than you should go watch this movie? Yes. (laughs) Yes, we should reiterate that as well. It's on Prime and it's it's around it was on youtube as well so so last but not least well actually last and least (laughs) (laughs) last and least is mulan that's all it's called 2020 and that's the disney remake and that was created and it's american it's in english and Do you want to take us through it first and then we'll look at the genre and some of the really horrible aspects of this film? Sure. Let's, I guess all the listeners would know this, which is that this is based off of the animated version and Disney is doing this thing where they're making all of the, or classic Disney movies live action and failing miserably. So this is one of those. So yeah, we don't have singing and we don't have animals that can talk. Those are the main two differences between the two. Mm, good point. That's in good terms point. of copying the story over, you know. Okay, so the summary. So a voiced-over narrator, Mulan's father, introduces the legend and commences to tell her story. Mulan is a child, skillfully jumping around the village to catch a chicken. And though her father is happy about this, others judge Mulan because her chi, which is a boundless energy, should not be used by females. Her father tells Mulan she must stop using her chi and show loyalty, bravery, and truth in the woman's way. He doesn't, like, say it like that, but that's basically what he's saying. That's, yeah. Jump two years later, Mulan's mother explains that Mulan has matched and she must appear in front of the matchmaker. Mulan is obedient and makes no protest. Just like a good girl. Sorry. (laughs) Nevertheless, the encounter doesn't go well. Mulan uses her skills to try to save the situation, but is again punished for using her chi. The conscription then arrives. Mulan dresses as a man to take her father's place in the army without his permission. Mulan gets lost on the road and is rescued by a phoenix spirit guide. 
This is like the bare minimum summary. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's good because you're hitting all the main points. And there's so we need to talk many about. plot points. <gasps> in camp, she meets her general who notices her chi. That sounds weird. <laughs> and encourages her to use it. Mulan, however, struggles with her duty to the truth and even comes close to telling her general she is a woman. But she doesn't. So the war gets bad as the Roran chief and his shapeshifter witch ally get closer to the emperor. Mulan and her comrades have a brief bonding moment over the fire before the battle. Then during the battle, Mulan gets cornered by the witch who taunts her about her identity and almost kills her. But Mulan is saved by the wrappings around her chest. <laughs> this is a great visual <laughs> you gotta know that you know that's where the witch like, tried to stab her you know and having mm -hmm. to wear the wrapping kind of saved mm -hmm. her life okay cool mulan then strips off her armor and lets her hair down joining the battle as herself with no one really noticing her men become cornered mulan causes an avalanche the enemy is buried her commander rejects her because she's a woman so on the way back home, Mulan is again approached by the witch who tells Mulan that the Roran chief survived and plans to take the emperor. So Mulan goes back to her commander to warn him. He finally believes her. They all go to the imperial city and they are able to kill most of the enemy Rorans. And Mulan, meanwhile, gets to the emperor with the help of the witch who sacrifices herself for Mulan. Mulan kills the chief with a weird kicking of a sword move. <laughs> and the emperor is saved. It sounds as ridiculous as it sounds. Right? How else would you summarize this movie, okay? This is like... That's, you're doing great. This is fantastic. I'd be like, something dumb happens, and then it ends, and you're like, thank God. This isn't even half of it, by the way, everyone. I mean, yeah. if you haven't seen the movie, there's so many mini plot points in between, but you don't need to know those. They don't go anywhere anyway. Yeah, exactly. So Mulan is offered a promotion into the imperial court, which she denies in order to return home. The imperial soldiers, however, follow her to her village and extend the job to her again. And with her father's support, Mulan accepts the end. The one good thing <laughs> that happened in that entire two and a half hours comes at the very end, and it's very brief. I was going to say, you almost miss it because the father is narrating that. <sighs> yeah. So we're going to take it from the top. <laughs> uh, we're going to go through this point by point because it deserves to be ridiculed. <laughs> or scrutinized, maybe. Because maybe some people did like it. Uh, you know. No. I know what you're trying. I understand. But no. Okay. <laughs> That's fair. Can I start and then we can go back and forth? Let's do it. So the name of this movie, if I didn't mention it before, is Mulan. And in the very first moment that the credits roll who do you expect to hear and see on camera is it i don't know uh elvis presley no is it big bird i don't think so no it's mulan's father who is giving a voiceover about himself and how mulan his daughter is fulfilling his dreams and his life the end. <laughs> Excellent beginning. Right right off the bat, you're like, oh, this is going to be good. There's a reason people care about representation. And I think one of those reasons is because of shit like this, where you have a movie that's supposed to be about a strong, independent young woman, and it is bookended by her father, which 
doesn't make any sense. He doesn't come into any of it. He doesn't matter in the storyline. And as we move along and talk about like what his past is like with his daughter, that also doesn't matter and isn't necessary and doesn't help the story. Do you want to jump on that? I agree. I can't even add... I mean, I guess we'll talk about this when we talk about context and what I think American youth need to hear about feminism. But you're right. This is the worst beginning of a film that should be about American feminism and hopefully influence Chinese feminism. That was my expectation. And I really was hoping this movie could take us in a new direction as far as feminists. And But yeah, it's just like disappointing right off the bat. And You know, I think what I walked in there with was that they were going to show respect to a a young female woman, especially, especially that, and then on top of it being a warrior. And right off the bat, that doesn't tell me that. To have a man speak for her and make it about himself, it would be hilarious if this were ironic. Like, that would, I would be like, you guys get it. But that is not what this is. And it's very minor and it seems like something we don't, you know, we we shouldn't spend time on. But it's important because it sets a precedent that this story is not her story. It's some guy's story. And that's the entire point is that we want to see our stories, not just all of their stories. Do you know what I mean? Yep. It's a great, not only an unnecessary framing device. But the fact that there is a framing device at all is belittling the audience immediately. Explain. Explain how that works. The belittling and everything. Uh, no, I'm serious. You're <laughs> correct. No, you, you are correct. Jen and I have mentioned several times the factor of trust. And it's not exclusive to grown-ups, by the way. If anything, I mean, maybe toddlers need it. But if anything, you need to start trusting children and young adults right away, especially when you're telling a story in a different way, hopefully in a more mature way. That was the next chapter of Mulan's Disney version, right, was to hit now a new level of understanding of the legend and what it can teach us. So framing devices right away are just an easy way out. It's just saying like, you need to know this, let me tell you that. And then let me make it epic looking by jumping around in time when you don't need that either. We're needing character. We need to follow a a hero. And the fact that the hero is a woman is going to be what sends the message. And the fact that they just take that away right away. I'm like, oh, okay, fine. Never mind then. Sorry. (laughs) What do you think? I mean, does that feel belittling to you? Yeah, I mean, it speaks of two things for me. The belittling factor of like, let me hold your hand because you will not understand this. Oh, really? Okay. (laughs) And then the other half of that is we f***ed up and we don't know how to fix it. So we're going to tell you because we don't know what else to do at this point. And maybe we already shot some things. And both of those things are very problematic. One more than the other socially or in society and the other more a financial thing. I don't think it was necessary to do any of that. But also it's Disney, but they're very stringy. Like what do they say? Like the more money you make, the stingier you are ah. with it. Mm-hmm. Because there's this like fear of loss and they're a huge conglomerate like they're okay if they needed to reshoot a few things that would be necessary if they wanted to make something of quality but that's obviously not what they're interested in we know that because we've seen their quality you know that 
handful of movies that came out in the 90s that were all animated had so much behind them. They had creative teams that were working together for a long time. They had research. They had, you know, they, they lacked certain things. They still needed more women on board. They still needed more representation, obviously. But there was a want to create something good. <laughs> And that is not in this. I do not get that sense when I see this movie. I get the sense of capitalism and cowtailing to all the wrong things. You know, they, they wanted to make something that the Chinese people would be happy with. Great, that's cool. But that's not really what your job is in this film. This film is about Mulan. So you can do those things, but don't put that first <laughs> oh good that's a good way of saying that and having representation would be a big factor in that we'll talk more about this as we go but the people that they hired to do things for this film were problematic as well and the costume designer who's very i liked the costume design don't get me wrong but she was somebody that they paid to travel china and learn about chinese what they wore in the war and what they wore in that time period and they could have saved a lot of money by just hiring somebody who already knows that who is maybe chinese that would be helpful <laughs> But that's that's where it's like confusing. That's where it's like, okay, is this a financial thing or is this a social thing? Because if it's a financial thing, you could have saved money doing this thing. But that's too high of a risk for you, apparently. I, I'm going to pull up the number because I can't remember it. They put in a lot of money to make this film and they did not make it back. So what would have been smarter in that point? You know, like taking a minor risk to hire somebody who already knows about costume design, kind of like what we saw in Black Panther, right? Black Panther had teams of people who knew what African design looked like and worked together to create something unique for Wakanda. That is not this. <laughs> they did not put that expense in for this and it shows. Sorry, I just like I'll get off my soapbox. Oh, <laughs> I love the soapbox though, because I'm like, I'm just like, you guys can't see me, but I'm just like nodding and being like, uh huh, uh huh, uh huh, yeah, all of those things. I mean, the only thing I would add on top of all of that is, you're you're right. It's a sense of priority. All of the priorities in this project were just so mixed up, and I do understand representation, and those are all super important, but not at the expense of story. I mean, if you don't have a good story, it doesn't matter what representation you have because nobody's going to watch the movie or remember it. And therefore, that goal has failed. Unless you want to say like, oh, I did the costume design on this one film that nobody's watching. Well, good for you, you know? <laughs> I, so it's disappointing that we didn't start with a solid foundation, which is what the 90s movies had. They had solid foundations of story. If you start with the solid foundation of production look and expenses and you know well yeah you get a beautiful movie and that's it is it's gorgeous it's a gorgeous movie to look at it is but you got to give us a reason to look at it <laughs> i 100 percent agree and it is very pretty to look at but you it just plug your ears i don't know listen to some good music listen to the music from the animated film <laughs> so that you can deal with the story because it's so stupid one of the next things that stood out for me and for you as well is the abilities that Mulan has already. Everybody <laughs> hated this concept. I have not heard of one person who was like, "Yeah, Mulan and her chi." Not one. Okay, just let's. I'm gonna say that to begin with. The end. So she's she's. You're totally right. We have two things. We have chi and we have 
her being already talented or skillful at what she's doing. And in the very beginning, you know, we see these clips of her father teaching her how to wield chi and how to do a lot of amazing flips and fighting maneuvers. And it's very impressive and totally fake, which really takes you out of it uh, since it's supposed to be more realistic. It's like pretend you're watching Harry Potter and he already knows how to do all the magic. Like, what would you do for eight years until he can finally, like, kill Voldemort? You'd just sit around and wait for him and nothing would happen. And it takes away from the struggle, right? We watch these characters to see how they do and survive in situations that we don't know how we would do and survive. So we want to see her struggle to be able to be a warrior. We want to see her, like, be angry and upset at herself and sweat and bleed like we want to see all those things and she's already got it it's down no worries what did you think i don't even know why you would continue after making that decision (laughs) i read from an article just this little line it shouldn't take a woman with special powers to save china amen that's the problem amen once you take the relatability out of your hero character and a, a hero character that's needed for everybody and to have her unrelatable was a death sentence Mm. how dare you not create a hero's journey for her now we have no hope i don't understand like we're not watching a marvel movie you can't do that she's not (laughs) a superhero and there was no magic involved and in that way i think it could have been more similar to the chinese 2009 version which is let's just think of her as a hero who needs training a person because that's what we are right that's right that's right there's no reason to bring that magical element in if we're going to look at it that way anyway Mm -hmm. and then you're right it it doesn't do anything for her character arc we're not sympathetic i mean all she needs to do is just let it rip (laughs) the reason she's not is because she's a woman and she needs to hold it back like is that it is that all her struggle is it's just like yeah feeling ashamed that she can't show like something she already has yeah that's what they went with it may even sound kind of compelling but it's not so speaking of which, do we do we want to talk about Chi as the other half of this point? Do you want to tell us it. about it? <laughs> I didn't clarify that in this universe, in this interpretation, there is this spiritual thing that some people can wield or have, and they call it Chi. It is a real thing in Chinese belief, but it's not used properly the way I understand um, one commenter. And it doesn't fit in the universe the like the universe they've created they bring in a witch character which insinuates there's magic but she's the only one we see i guess the witch is using chi but she's using it in a bad way but again these feel like we just need something easy here let's call it chi but it's really this cop-out magic element so it's not even used properly and it's not earned by anybody so am i missing something do they define it in a different way that i'm just forgetting No, not that I can recall. That was pretty much how they look at it, as something that you can wield and you can use it negatively or positively, and that it's mainly a masculine or a male trait, something that the men train for, not women. Which is interesting, because I think the authentic belief is that it's a, if it's a life force, it's usually tied in with nature, and nature is typically feminine in Chinese symbolism. So it's interesting they didn't even use it in that way. They didn't try to make it what it actually was for China. That'd be too easy. Right. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think it was really brilliant that they, like, insulted China while trying to be helpful to China. (laughs) 
And I'm like, you're insulting their culture. You know that, right? Like, chi is something that they, you know, not everyone, obviously, but as a collective, it's something that's been important to the Chinese culture. And chi is supposed to be like the energy fields that run between different parts of your body. So it's really about like balance and keeping yourself. I'm not an expert on chi, so don't take me for my word. But that's what I understand about it. And it has nothing to do with gender. And it doesn't give you superpowers. It's not the force, like you said. It's not something you'd see in Marvel because that's not what it, it's a spiritual thing more than it is anything else. And for Disney <laughs> to just take that and slap it on felt very, off- I, I was offended and I'm not even, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I could just feel how angry people would probably be to be insulted like that. We kind of mentioned this earlier. We were used to seeing European folklore And I think Disney especially is based on European folklore. So they wanted the magical element for some reason. We don't know why, because what's the point of making it realistic if you're going to give it magic? But fine, you want that European magic in there. Figure out a way. Go for it. But don't call it something from another culture that has nothing like that in their own. We've talked about this with the, the story version that they had demons, basically like evil animal spirits. And those were like omens and those were things in their culture that they would use in those kinds of stories. She does turn into a bird, but it's whenever it's convenient for her to do something else, she does it. Exactly. If it was there to serve any story purpose, that also did not happen. We talk about these threads in the story. And the chi thing, if they wanted to connect it to the villain witch, which, yeah, I guess that's the only thing that her and Mulan have in common is the fact that they can both wield chi. (laughs) And they're women. But that, I mean, was that the message then? I don't understand. I... That was not a, a good thread to begin or end with. When it's just there already, you don't get any payoff. It's not a good seed to plant at the beginning. And again, we're still at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, this is like five minutes in. And it's confusing. I would, if I was younger, I would be confused by that concept. <laughs> I thought I was watching a woman who disguises herself to go into battle. That should have been the thread. The cross-dressing and place of her father, turning down the conscription to go home. Those were the three original elements. So don't detract from those. Just Tell your message and how you decide to show that. Amen. Otherwise, why make it? Make it something else. Yeah. You know, it seems half-assed to do that, to take the three main elements of this story, the basic elements of the story, and then play around with it for no reason, and it didn't pay off. (laughs) It just seems like they half-assed it, which is sad because they didn't. That's the thing. They didn't half-ass this. They were dedicated to making this something that Americans and the Chinese would like. And that's a huge part of why it failed, in my opinion. (laughs) (laughs) The next part that I guess I wanted to mention in the storyline is the matchmaker, which happens still pretty early. In the animated version, we get a Mulan who is clumsy and not good at social interactions and kind of not put together and that leads us to into her song about reflections and her not being who she wants to be or she doesn't know who she is and that kind of sets us up for the things like a domino right so she, now she doesn't know who she is and then the conscription comes and she's like well I don't know who I am but I love my father so I'm gonna go to war for him basically and it feels organic and it feels realistic and it feels psychologically like accurate that's what I would expect mm-hmm. 
So in this film, <laughs> she she does <laughs> she's just crying. <laughs> okay. Go ahead, tell them what happened. <laughs> so Milan has her mother and her father. She also has a sister as a sibling, and they go to see the matchmaker. And her sister is sort of the clumsy, not put together, a little bit ditzy girl in this situation. And they're having tea together with the matchmaker and she sees a spider. And so Mulan attempts to prevent her sister from making a fool out of herself. And in doing so, everything goes into chaos and the table gets knocked over and the cups go flying. And, you know, you think in this situation, like, okay, this is not going to be good. And then, like, Mulan catches all of the different plates and cups as they're falling and she does it perfectly and then she like trips right or she notices that people are watching her no you know what happens is um her hair unravels Uh. and it gets in front of her face and it just throws her off which was also a weird choice but whatever stupid (laughs) she's female it's like i swear they just don't know what a woman is you've grown up with long you know how to deal with it like come on now So she drops all of the cutlery and it all breaks and, you know, the matchmaker's like, get out. And nothing happened. Nothing changed. She didn't, she wasn't upset because it wasn't her fault. And she can't be upset about not being put together because she is. She's put together. You know what that scene would have set up really, really well? Hmm. Is if Mulan's sister is the one that decides to go to war in place of her father and Mulan happens to go with her, it'll be like, it would be like a, a league of their own where it's, you know, two sisters <laughs> are challenged, one of them being already good, but it becomes the younger sister story because she has a flaw and she has somewhere to go as far as character growth. Brilliant. That's what this sets up. That's brilliant. Because Mulan has no flaw. And if anything, she's saving someone at the beginning. Uh, so where do we go from there? That's awful. That See, and that at least would have allowed us to have the three main story points still and have a different interpretation of this journey. If we had a similar sort of imagery that happens later and we see her catch herself or catch the things that are falling that would be fantastic we would be like oh my god that was so embarrassing the first time but the second time excellent yeah i love it when when i can do something similar where i fail at it first and then the second time i'm like yeah i did it (laughs) that's a payoff exactly but that's not what this is about right apparently Mm -mm. (laughs) the conscription arrives same story and then we go to that evening in, in the animated one, that's the one where things start rolling, right? Like, she steals the armor, she cuts her hair, takes the horse, and she goes with the conscription. In this one, do you want to walk us through it? I don't even know if I can because it was so confusing. <laughs> that's why I gave it to you. Oh my god, thanks, Jen. <laughs> we get a same scene where they're eating dinner and Mulan protests and the father gets upset by her protest. Good, that's fine. We can relate to that. But then we get another flashback, and we have to understand that it's a type of flashback. But this is where we get introduced to the three belief systems. And it's kind of explained in a weird way because we're not sure if it is a flashback or if it's later that day and the father has forgiven Mulan because they should be pretty tense right about now. But they're in his armory or his little training room and he shows her his sword which has three symbols on it that mean loyalty bravery and truth and then we jump back i think into present time where mulan is considering her decision so we're getting a shot of the armor of the sword while they're explaining what it means the one thing we do see is her wielding the sword for a second though so maybe that was the only good part about that and then that's it 
we don't get to see her dress in the arbor. We don't get to see her do anything with her hair. I know she shouldn't be cutting it in this version, of course, but nothing. We don't get anything as far as the transition, the threshold to the new chapter of the hero's journey. None of that. And it's instead confusing. I was going to say one of the things that I ended up kind of going into a rabbit hole about was the hair thing, because we talked about this after we saw it the second time, which was painful, that this is sort of where historical accuracy versus storytelling or good storytelling comes to play. And from what I understand, after the animated film, one of the problems the Chinese had was with the cutting hair scene, because that is not something traditionally done. And most people, men and women, boys and girls, didn't cut their hair. Nobody cut their hair because it was considered to be disrespectful to change something about yourself that was given to you by your ancestor. So Disney, in an interview, they talked about how, well, we're not going to do the hair cutting scene because obviously that's not something that they would have done then anyway, which is fine, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) But the point is that it's metaphorical. So you'd have to go person by It's definitely a choice. If you were going to continue to do the haircutting thing in the scene, I think personally that would have been the most cathartic because that's something very true for women. Cutting your hair is something that's kind of like in our genes about liberation and power and privilege and all those things. And it's all tied into our hair because of how society views women over a long period of time, especially older women with gray hair. I mean, things like that. There's a whole hair history. (laughs) And I think most women have a fairly good idea about that, especially when they see it too. You know, I think of G.I. Jane and that haircutting scene. Uh, v for Vendetta has a haircutting scene. These are important and visceral and visual because we understand what that means. That's like shedding part of yourself. And it's also shedding society's hold on you. And it represents a lot of things. Like there's a reason Britney Spears did it. <laughs> Poor Britney Spears. <laughs> and Miley Cyrus and all these other actors. So yeah, it's not historically accurate if she were to cut her hair in that scene but it would have been influential it would have given it a metaphorical meaning and in this case that would have been more important than the historical accuracy if they could figure out another way to do that without the hair cutting great but just to take it out and do nothing you go gosh that was so well said that (laughs) passage is needed for the story And yes, if you need to do it differently, then you decide what thread you're going to plant initially. And you know what I would have done, considering what they believe and what Mulan does later in the film, which is she releases her hair. And that's another form too. If you've been pressured to wear your hair up, but you're one of those women who just need it to be loose. As a child, Mulan needs to have her hair loose. Start off with the wild child with loose hair. Freedom. Let's go back to that metaphor. Yes? Yeah. So- In that transition then, instead what she does is she has to wrap it in the way the army men have their hair wrapped in the bun, the high bun. Right. So make that be the scene where she's dreading it and she has to bring it tight around her head. Yeah. And you know the other thing I would have added since it comes back later is the the wrapping around her chest. Absolutely. That's a big deal. It absolutely is. So make those important because you need threads. You need to plant threads somewhere. Why not start there? (laughs) And then you get the very needed hero's journey transition to the new world. It's the new world. Like, I mean, you got to do something. You can't just look at a sword and hold it up and be like, ooh, shiny. Like, that's not how you 
get into the new world. Like, you have to sacrifice something. And she is, but we don't see that visually or metaphorically. And that makes a huge difference because we need that to resonate with what's happening. That's like film 101 (laughs) that we're having to describe to Disney. It was very unsatisfactory in that scene. Everyone's expecting it. Even the Chinese, I'm sure, were expecting it. Oh, yeah. Because they know the Disney version, you know, and they're they're just like, oh, oh, okay, we're moving on. Never mind then. (laughs) Did I miss something or no? Okay. Feels like they deleted a scene, doesn't it? Yeah. Maybe they did. Maybe. Okay. Deep breaths. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. Moving on. (laughs) What we got? I do also want to touch on the training camp and... I think we should do that first. Yeah. Because I was looking at that too. So I think we should do that first. The threshold from the 1998 Disney film was really well done because in a animated disney film that song montage will get you every time it's the best way to run through a long period of time while showing great character improvement hercules did it right when hercules needed to train and everybody knows the song used in the disney one because it was i mean not only did it show mulan's progress but it showed her becoming closer to her allies it showed her liking her commander a little bit more you know like all of these yeah great character arcs are shown in this one montage But we get every bit of it. We're just like, yeah, I feel cathartic about it. They've earned it. You know, there's all these great elements that come from a montage like that. Teamwork. Teamwork. Teamwork is a huge theme in that montage that feels awesome because they're all fighting right at the beginning. And then by the end, she's kind of encouraging them to train with her because she's excelling at it that's all i was gonna add absolutely and i'm not gonna lie i don't remember a whole lot of what's happening in the threshold scene because mulan already has chi we know that she's talented and she shows off when she (laughs) needs to there's the water the water bucket that's the only scene i remember because it was so disappointing oh yeah (laughs) it was so dumb oh yeah there was a little bit of a montage in Mm -hmm. there wasn't there Mm, i even forgot about that (laughs) The only other struggles I remember were the woman versus men thing, right? Where she had to refrain from bathing. And she doesn't make friends easily. I don't don't know if that was necessary because I feel like she needed people around, you know. I don't know. That was kind of weird. So she she played off a really cold character, which again is not a good decision. We need some relatability. Despite the fact that they're men, is that why she's feeling like she can't make friends? I don't get that. I don't get it either. Just to wrap up my point then is that its function wasn't served. In the hero's journey, we get a threshold chapter where it's training, mentorship, friendship, You gather your archetypes, you're preparing for this big battle. And I think these scenes of training, all I got from it was that she was really afraid to show her chi. She had it. She had potential for friends. Yeah, you get these funny moments where like, oh, I can't do that because I'm a girl. Those are great. You need some comedic moments, but not at the expense of important moments. So again, I don't remember anything from that because that wasn't, there was no training. There was no improvement. It was just her being really scared about a lot of things that we can't relate to. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense because none of that is relatable and not how any of us would be in that situation. I mean, a normal person without chi or without magical chi wouldn't be in that position and you know, they kind of hint at it with there's like a water bucket scene where they're climbing these stairs holding water buckets. And everybody in her squad, for the most part, 
I mean, there are some that excel at it, but for the most part, everybody's struggling with it. And she's struggling with it. And there's a sort of a implication that it's a mental block, not a physical block. Which, okay, sure. It's obviously physical, but okay. And she's the first one that actually gets to the top with the water buckets after somebody else cheats and gets thrown out and the guy she likes is not doing well he gives up and you know she gets to the top of this mountain and I think it's supposed to feel important I think it's supposed to have the umph of her climbing up the pole in the animated version and it doesn't have any of that you don't feel any of it because she she struggled with one thing that was it just carrying the buckets up and that's hard to do I get it but like that's not enough maneuvers and learning all those things she didn't have to worry about those so I was like okay and you know in the original the cool thing about Mulan's climb to the top of the pole was that she looked at it in a new way yes and that's what Mulan brought in that movie which was cleverness that was unseen so it wasn't just about strength it was her figuring out what do I have here oh they're on string <sighs> you know what I can do is wrap them around the pole and now I can do it it's not just about strength it was about cleverness and we saw that they define that as her flaw at the beginning and now it's like saving her life as yes. a thread that we follow and in this one you're right there was nothing set up for a struggle to hold buckets yeah like we didn't see that at the beginning in her childhood life none of you know no setup for that i guess we get a little bit of her facial expression but you're right there was no payoff so why should we feel like she's struggling yeah and i mean just metaphorically and some the symbolism behind her in the animated one holding up what is it courage and strength right and you know the idea is that you have to carry both of them up to the top of the pole and the symbolism behind her being the one that holds both and one in each hand and wraps them around herself to move up a pole is it is it's her cleverness that makes it possible and oh my god it's it's beautiful because you it's obvious that they thought about that and that they put in the time that it takes to figure that shit out it doesn't happen overnight it takes a long time and you like you said you don't get any of that in the buckets because they don't represent those things <laughs> they're just about like raw power and carrying them up a hill there's not really much you can be clever about in that situation it doesn't give her chance to show off any of these traits that all the other mulans have which is like you said her cleverness and her ability to, to see things differently and to think out of the box and to be on top of what's happening in the moment as opposed to just like pushing through it physically gosh that was so well said <laughs> And you know, a big problem with this entire movie is just a lack of focus at all, which Disney is usually good about. They understand that they are catering to a young adult or younger audience. Yeah. You got to zone in on what? Three things. <laughs> Everything needs to be used and a payoff. Right. And we saw that in the original Disney. Every training thing that they chose to do, each one of her allies struggled with and then used in the climax later. Those are the payoffs. Yeah. And this one, it's, it was trying to be historically accurate. So maybe we throw a bunch of things in there. Yeah. And I can't remember any of them. That's what you get when you don't think about those things or you try to do too much for authenticity's sake, I guess. Amen. One of the things that more recently has been sort of brought up 
especially with the training camp and with her romance with the friend slash commander, depending on the version, is sexuality. It's a really big theme that's shown up because if we're buying into the in-universe rules and what's happening in-universe, then we are assuming that Mulan is a man. You know, she is dressed like a man, she talks like a man, and everybody sees her as a man. And because there's a developing relationship or romance or whatever between her character as a male and another male character opens a lot of doors for people who are not just straight. So it's really nice to see because it's not, we kind of talked about this before, it's not true representation, but it's something that we get a chance to see that we don't usually get to see even now. So there was a really big following in terms of seeing Shang as bisexual because he is obviously attracted to Mulan as a man and the actor that played him he's a gay man B.D. Wong and so there was a lot of really kind of cool aspects to the film especially like what we talked about with the song with the reflection song there's all these different opportunities to really explore something like that and in this one, one of the choices that they made for this film was they were not going to make the love interest a commander because of power. And I thought that was a good choice. Don't get me wrong. You you did one, Disney. Thumbs up. <laughs> one point to you. Yay, you got one. <laughs> but, you know, make it pretty obvious from the beginning that he kind of seems to be on to her. The way he communicates with her at times, it either is, because it's Disney, I know that it's not this, but there are two options. And one is that he is very much bisexual and this is an opportunity for him to talk to somebody who's kind of cold and not talking to anybody else and maybe he likes him. Oh yeah! But it's Disney, so it's not that. It's that he sees her and he maybe thinks that she's female because there would be no other... <laughs> Damn it. she's given up I don't blame you so there's this implication of that and then it's like great you guys didn't make him a commander but then she's like taking a bath in the pond and he like gets right up on her and is like talking to and I was just like dude I need you to back up either either back up either way I need you to back up a you know I'm a girl or b you think I'm into this and I'm not it, it kind of it would just be so fun to play with things more. If it weren't Disney and it were made with a similar budget, it would be so fun. There would be a lot of really interesting dynamics that we haven't seen on TV or film. And I think they're ones that people would appreciate. They're not bisexual or gay and they don't care. That's fine. But it's interesting to see how those interactions play out because that's where we're getting information about how other things interact with each other and how we operate in the world. So we need to see all of it, not just like the one lens. Yes! <laughs> Especially, I'm going to go back to it, the message, what we needed to hear and see as a people at this point. And the issues are lgbtq and feminism we're kind of in an echo chamber i'm sure other people have reasons for not wanting to see that but i don't know of any good reasons that have to do with representation and story versus politically and morally and if you politically and morally don't want to see that fine that's that's your prerogative you don't have to go see it but that doesn't mean that there are other people who don't want to see it and that it would mean a lot to them like how many movies do you need about yourself before you let somebody else have something. And the evolution of the legend calls for it. That's where we are. We need something different and new for the legend to keep living. This film might have actually cut this life short because it didn't have anything new to say. 
It did not. You're very right about that. It had nothing new to say. And it did what it did before, but way worse. And I think the other aspect of it, of course, that I want to talk about is her sexuality as well. And I I was telling you, I think that it'd be really fun to like have a storyline where she meets somebody else who is also cross-dressing in the military. I think that would be really cool to see like that kind of friendship, not even a relationship, but like a friendship of some kind. But to date, I've only seen one version of Mulan that is on the spectrum of sexuality, and that's from Once Upon a Time, which is a TV show, and (laughs) it's basically a soap opera with story characters, which is great. It's fantastic. And you get a lesbian Mulan who falls in love with Princess Aurora, which, mind blown, I am, I'm done. (laughs) awesome and it's it's very short-lived it's not like a big part of the story or anything and this is not necessarily by disney's doing but by people projecting onto it which i would argue is a big part of film in wreck it ralph 2 that came out they had a scene with all the disney princesses and they're all sort of in their normal attire and mulan is in that scene it just so happens that she's wearing an outfit that is commonly associated with bisexuality it's it's mainly like jeans with the the cuffs rolled up and it sounds like it's like really generic and that could be anybody but there's a connotation to it and for it to be mulan and how she is in the scene and what i've seen from on tumblr and the bisexual community which i don't know a whole lot about i can understand why they saw that and were like thank you (laughs) because that's how much we lack representation first of all that we have to like find these little things and be like oh this has to be for us because nothing else is So sexuality, and obviously gender, but sexuality also has a place in this story. And I think we even touch on that a tiny bit in the ballad, talking about how you can't tell if the hair is male or female while it's running. Like, that's very much a gender thing, but I think it's very closely related to sexuality as well. Because on the the battlefield, (laughs) you kind of take it for what it is because you need to do your job. It's that same concept. So I just wanted to touch on that because I felt like it was important to mention. It's so sad that that's what it comes to. We're in our evolution of storytelling. We should be there already. Instead, we're just looking at these tiny, tiny details that might imply something that in the future, maybe this person's story could be told. We're still so behind in that way. There's so many different other things that can be represented on film and that would create new dynamics that we haven't seen a lot in film and would open up sort of this creative bubble that everybody's been stuck in with reboots and like doing the same thing over and over again like yeah you're making okay money but like you're not contributing anything and you're also not opening it up people want it to be opened (laughs) we were gonna talk about the bad guys the villains and the antagonists so we do have a a chief of the clan and they are somehow imbued with kind of fantastic abilities as well i don't know if that was necessary and it's again it's i think it works fine but it was everything else that was wrong but the best part about the original disney was the enemy was he was the ultimate shadow that she had to eventually confront and everybody understood that so when the moment came it was very cathartic in this case we get a subcategory of villain And it detracts completely from the message of feminism, being able to battle a man in the ultimate ordeal, which she still does, but again, it's super detracted. And this new villain did not offer any, if anything, it made the story much more confusing. Please step in, because I I can just say a lot of 
bad things, but I'm trying to understand why she was even there. Again, maybe to represent the chi thing, the opposite of Mulan's chi. So this is like the bad chi and Mulan's the good chi. But again, it's a woman fighting a woman. So what message are you sending right off the bat? And the fact that the witch is magical, so she can do all of these things, including shapeshift. And she was taking on important figures when she needed to infiltrate a city. It's a huge advantage. And we talked about this. If this was the universe, well, then she could have ended the war right away with these abilities. And why did she not? The Roran chief has no power over her. Instead, she just has like this sad story that... That doesn't make any sense that we get in dialogue, <laughs> exploitive dialogue. Mm-hmm. So we're just being told all of this. So that's not making your enemy complex or your villain complex. And the chief is just coming across as this, I need you to be my dog person and do my bidding. <laughs> and why? Why would they have done that? And what payoff did it have? That's a lot of questions. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, though. I mean, I think the basis of them both being there is important because it's so stupid. The idea is that he saved her from a bad situation and she kind of owes him and he's promising that when he takes over she can lead with him and if it was like when she was a kid then maybe that's something you should have mentioned while you're spewing all of the history in dialogue because that would make a difference (laughs) that's like one piece of information that we would want to (laughs) know but they didn't do that so it's kind of like why and the main reason i think is sexism i mean it's kind of my answer for everything but it's kind of true also there's something about having a woman fighting a woman that eases things for people especially men but general audiences i guess you could say who are not comfortable with people being equal to each other i don't know how else to say it without it being shade and that's why that scene in the uh end game marvel end game where they had all these like female superheroes come together and start fighting together was really mixed reviewed. People were like, yay, but also why and what? And how did all these females come together in the middle of this giant war all at the same time? And are you just like trying to be feminist? Because this is not feminist. This is very much you pretending to be feminist. Considering that this movie is called Mulan, as we established, and it's her father speaking for her, it's about the other men in this story and not specifically not about her gaining any sort of independence and strength on her own I think it fits in perfectly with that you know they need another woman there to make sure that she stays in her place and that's the theme of the film which we'll talk about in the end I mean it's all about her knowing her place and that is terrible and disheartening And this woman is very confusing. I don't know what she wants from Mulan. Her reasoning for talking to her changes a lot based on the scene. The first time in battle when the witch corners Mulan, you get that that would be considered the ordeal, right? There's the the ordeal and then there's the climax. The climax, I would say, is Mulan battling the chief. But this ordeal should have been spiritually enlightening. But because it had no setup, it was just confusing because the witch is challenging Mulan and it's woman against woman. So what message are you sending there? Well, and what knowledge did she bring to Mulan? What what did she offer her that she needed to defeat him? That would have given her more of a reason to be there in the first place. Mm-hmm. And like you said, you know, it's like we start off and antagonism between them and then all of a sudden at the end it's like a hard left turn and she like wants to help her and she does so in a way that doesn't make any sense she's a shapeshifter who knows magic and 
doesn't use that magic to save Mulan, but just like ends up killing herself to save Mulan when that was completely unnecessary. And I'm, I am really glad that she wasn't the main villain because if she had been the main villain and it would have been Mulan taking down a, a woman, we would have lost the whole entire, entire point. But I would say that then why even have her at all? Just have the chief guy have power. It's not that difficult to work around that. Why do you want another, I can't believe I'm saying this, but why do you want another woman <laughs> in this conversation, in this situation? Because it's it doesn't make any sense. There's this whole scene where, you know, they're about to fight and she's separated from her group and have her go after the main guy. And the witch steps in, pulls her out of that situation. And they're like at this I don't know what you what do you call that like a almost like a glade but in the desert I don't know if they're called the same thing and the witch is communicating with her antagonizing her they're kind of like she wants her to join her it whatever she said it took away from all of the potential that would have been drama of the war <laughs> what she comes away with in that scene is that she should strip off all of her armor and pull her hair down so that her hair's down and go back into war. I, I just want you to think about that. <laughs> and you can get angry if you want to. Anger is important. That's healthy. I do think a big part of it is how it looked cool, I guess. I don't know. But even that one commenter that we watched, she was hilarious because she was like, how come there's like this huge shot? How come there are only like... 20 soldiers like could they not get more people like it's disney if they had been like we need extras everybody would have shown up but instead they've got like 20 people on each side and this is supposed to be the big war i was like girl amen because it's pathetic it looks pathetic we're kind of at the point in the story where mulan is going after the emperor who has been taken by the chief Rorin, and tries to shoot her with an arrow and the witch who has unlimited power turns into a bird and gets shot and then they have like this scene together where she's like oh and you're like why and then Mulan has to go after the, the chief and it kind of leads us into this like building that hasn't been completed yet so it's sort of a it's a very um like a martial arts film it has a lot of those feels to it and they're fighting with their chi so it's gonna be extra it's going to be like crouching tiger, hidden dragon shit. Do you want to take it from there? <laughs> a lot of prettiness, production visuals, and you're almost overwhelmed by that because, again, I think they're trying to throw out a bunch of things to make it all okay. There's a couple of things, you know, that like in that scene with the fighting, they're supposed to have every single military official or guards that are around the empire to go and fight. And there's like <laughs> so 20 of them. Yeah, I'm again, like, the scale oh. is too small. Is yeah. Weird. It doesn't make any sense. Compared to what they're showing us in terms of how big the city is and even the emperor's, the main place where the emperor is, <laughs> all of it is huge and vast and you're like, damn. But then there's like no people. <laughs> you're like, oh, how did they defend this? I learned that there were lots of fighting nomads that would come through and try to take over these cities where that would have been easy. The animated had um, the vastness that is China and the imperial city because we like we mentioned, Mulan has an audience, even though she doesn't know that or cares about that. But the fact that right. 
they're there means That's something because they're witnessing something new. Nobody's witnessing anything here. They That's just keep getting true. more and more isolated. And what a weird thing to do. You're totally right. And like you said, the teamwork thing. I mean, in the animated version, the teamwork not only worked because they were good at what they do, but they had learned to work together. And it was them sort of relying on each other and their abilities that they were able to pull off what they were pulling off. And like you said, she just books it. I mean, she that's not where the action is that she needs to go to. And they're fighting so they just split up and it's like okay so you split up in the war and you split up here and you never got to know each other in the first place so maybe that makes <laughs> sense in this stupid world but it doesn't it doesn't make any sense and you're right like that's the huge part about the animated mulan is that there's recognition there's people there who are looking at a woman who just saved their emperor's life and saved the city and in this there is literally one witness <laughs> And it's great, he's the emperor and that's cool, whatevs. But that's not the point. The point is that the community <laughs> sees that she's more than just some dude and she's more than just some chick. Like, she's actually a war hero. That's what happens when your message isn't clear. The creators aren't even clear what message they're trying to send. That's how bad it's getting. <sighs> so... Can we talk about how she defeats the Roran? Because it's great. Oh, and awful. Yeah. They're fighting. She's like swinging on a thing and she knocks him off. And he basically lands at the very bottom of this like construction site. And they're kind of up on the top, right? And he's laying at the bottom. They think he's dead immediately. And she turns to the emperor and she's like, how are you doing? And then he catches the arrow in his hands. Just the idea of the Emperor and the Roran Chief being a thing, because they do set it up that they're enemies. And again, that's detracting from our hero yet again, because Mulan's fighting a woman now, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> the Roran Chief could have done that the entire time, which is shoot an arrow in the Emperor who was tied up anyway. Well, then everything Mulan just did means nothing, because he could catch the arrow! I think the Emperor throws the arrow or something, like he like pitches it to her and Mulan basically kicks it enough that the arrow flies all the way back down and gets the Roran chief in the chest or something. It's as believable as it sounds. <laughs> <laughs> but at least she has the Emperor to help her defeat the enemy. Because who wouldn't want that? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a common theme that happens through every part of this film, which is that there's always a higher up male character above her. So yay, the, the Emperor is saved. Good job, Mulan, for doing nothing. <laughs> so I want to talk about the theme first and then maybe at the very end give you just a bit more context about what's going on behind the scenes. This is the process that we did. We watched the film, we were like, what the hell? And then we did the research. And so I guess we're presenting it in the same way so that you don't have to do what we did, which was suffer. <laughs> Aww, we're trying to prevent <laughs> suffering. <laughs> the research was fun, don't get me wrong, but the film, not so much. So I think the biggest failing of this film, which we've been talking about, is the failing of Mulan as a symbol. And it's just really disappointing. <laughs> Even in the Chinese versions of Mulan, she has such power. She has earned power. 
and you feel it at the end and as anybody not just as a woman but as anybody you're like damn you were just some no-name person in a village who became a general and like helped them end the war and did the whole thing while also in disguise like I think that's also something that should be worthy of praise and I consider communist China and China in general to be fairly conservative when it comes to women and social interactions and their versions were so like liberal revolutionary yeah and this was not and this is the one from america in 2020 (laughs) (laughs) i'm so embarrassed (laughs) the theme of this movie is obviously not empowerment or the reward of empowerment it's about those things only in the context of knowing and remembering your place as a woman i mean it, it all comes down to that at the end and we see on the sword, you mentioned the three things. I think loyalty, bravery, and truth. I, I'm not sure if it's that order, but that's fine. So there's those three symbols that are etched into the sword. And at the very end, we see a fourth symbol uh, or text is in the sword. And that one is for virtue or filial piety, which is basically, we've talked about this a lot, the devotion to family, which on the surface sounds great. Loyal to your family. But it's wrapped up in this box of knowing your place and being virtuous in a very gender-specific way. And the other films that we talked about and, and read the stories of, it's not like they were perfect. There were ones where they were like, you know, she came back, but she was still pure. She was still virgin. I'm like, okay, well, that's important. <laughs> I mean, the girl just went through a war. Let her have her time, okay? <laughs> So it, it all it all ends up coming back to gender. And I thought that was the entire point at the end, right? That the two hairs running at the same time, you can't tell the gender. So that ends as soon as it's over. And that is true of the other stories as well. But in those ones, she actually had empowerment. And in some of those, she actually had a choice at the end. Especially the films, not the stories as much. But in this one, it's so colossally different. <laughs> She never once comes out of being under somebody else who is male. Everything is always brought back to gender in the worst possible way. And we end with that, honestly. I mean, we we do have that one part at the end, which is that they offer her a place in, in the government to work for them, which I think is great. And she accepts it. And that's awesome because we haven't seen that before. But it doesn't help anything that first she had to remember her place because that's how it's going to be, right? Like, she's going to go work for them maybe, but she will always have to remember her place. She is expendable. She is not as important. She doesn't have a lot of choices because she's female and we know that. I mean, maybe I'm putting a lot onto this film, but they remade it in the time that they did. With everything that's been going on, you think that they would have thought about some of these things and hired people who had an idea of what what's happening i mean the me too movement was two years ago and and i'm white i mean i can't imagine how it feels for people of color for women of color to to have such little representation and to be treated like they're children like they have no say like they have no mind of their own you're right i think the cool part about mulan's absorbing of the archetype was that she eventually believed that she was I mean, not in a bad way. She believed she was a ma- she was a soldier, just like her comrades. She like absorbed it. And this movie, she never does. She's already above them in that way. And instead, she's feeling shame about not being truthful about it. 
that's what we get instead. Therefore, of course, she's at odds with other friends, but she didn't absorb them. She didn't, I mean, no wonder we don't know if there were any allies because they weren't absorbed and they didn't help in the ordeal or the climax. What kind of message are you sending? Think about it. No matter what the message is, it's disappointing because it. I find it, I wonder if it's like the producers, like they make more money on a flop than they do on a success. I was going to say, which is sad because I'm a big fan of Nikki Caro, the director. She's the director of Whale Rider. And yeah. that film changed my life. I do not want to blame this film on her because this does not feel like her. She wouldn't have made these mistakes if she had more control and more creative power. I have a feeling this was just all of the wrong agendas and appeasing to all the wrong bureaucrats. <laughs> I don't blame her either, honestly. I, I don't even know if I can blame the writers entirely because most of this in film goes down to the producer. And the producers are the one that get to decide what actually goes out. And what's being made because it's their money that they're spending on making it. I have like three more things and then I'm done. The accusations that Disney was facing was that they were caretaking to, to communist China. Which, not great because atrocities are happening in communist China. And people are dying. And lots of civil liberties taken away. When the film was being done and shot, they were doing at least part of the filming in a city, which I cannot pronounce, where at least one million people were forced into internment camps. And this is something that's been pretty much, I mean, it hasn't been really talked about. Like, you don't see it in the news a lot, but that was, it is a human crisis. I mean, it's bad. And the fact that they were in that same town filming things for Disney just doesn't feel super great. We talked about the actress very briefly. I don't know if I can blame her completely. I don't know if she's a good actor or not. She wasn't in this, but she also obviously didn't have much of a character. So she's definitely tied closely to communist China and spoke out against the protests that were happening in Hong Kong. And that was a horrible mess as well with the Chinese like blocking food from getting in and people being fired on and and people just trying to survive while also taking back their community and she was very much part of that saying you know stop doing what you're doing hong kong it's bad i'm like hmm, okay and despite everything that they tried to do which we talked about they the criticisms they received were based on the historical accuracy, the geological inaccuracies, items that are buildings that were there that weren't in that part of that country, which doesn't matter unless you are telling everyone. And then, of course, a misrepresentation of Qi. And also there have been talks about undertones of Islamophobia, which makes a lot of sense because communist China it all kind of ties in. So these were the things that were like going on behind this movie. And I think all of these things were completely avoidable. If they wanted to redo Mulan and they wanted to tell a new version of the story, none of this would have mattered. But it, it kind of proves that that's not what their intent was. They were never intending to make something that would be good or be meaningful in any way. There's civil unrest all around the world. There's dictatorships all around the world. Here's something that's empowering and inspiring. Super great. Maybe another country will come up with their own version of, of Mulan and be like, this is how it's supposed to be. If Bollywood does a Mulan, oh my god. <laughs> that would be I'm going to go watch it. 
but cool. Yes. I mean, I don't know if it'd be good, but like they can make good films. They made a better Aladdin than Disney did. <laughs> That's absolutely true. So this has been a long series and I want to say that it wouldn't be nearly as thorough or interesting without Charlotte's research. So thank you for doing so much research on this because it's worth it. I think it's amazing. Um, I think it's fascinating. I love researching these things. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But thank you also to everyone who's listened and continues listening to us and your support is amazing. You can rate us on iTunes. You can email us at bitethepen at gmail.com. You can say hello on Twitter or Facebook, or you could also just share this with a friend of yours, which we would really appreciate because that would be awesome. And thank you, of course, to Jesse Martinez for being our Patreon. The final thought on Mulan comes from one of our supplemental reading, and it's called The Introduction of Mulan, Five Versions of a Classic Chinese Legend. And the author has this to say at the end of her introduction. Depending on the time, region, and genre in which the version was created, each is unique and brings its own perspective and meaning to the story. Though the interpretations of the legend may differ, Mulan herself endures. She is, after all, no stranger to change. (laughs) 